Let's pray. Heavenly Father, beautiful Son, Spirit of light and truth, we gather today to worship you. You are the Holy One, the one true God, and we thank you that you welcome sinners. Thank you for what our sister Rachel just shared, for her humility and for her courage and her willingness to share a pretty vulnerable story and give testimony to the amazing way that you stepped in and made her whole again. We need your help today. Please help me as I speak. Help us all as we listen. We pray that you would speak those words that we most need to hear and that we would receive them with faith and obedience. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name's Graham, if I haven't met you. And Steve mentioned that um, this is our last talk in um, this series, Meeting the Lord, Up Close and Personal. Um, our Hebrew minds have been awakened, and you will have realised that this series is a series of seven. So it completes itself today. Um, we'll be with Isaiah in the temple. Uh, Sarah will come up in a moment and read for us um, Isaiah 6. Um, verses 1 to 8. We were going to be looking at the whole chapter, uh, but during the week I thought it best just to finish off at verse 8. Uh, there's so much in these first eight verses that I thought it was a big enough meal for us to digest on this morning. So let's get oriented. Last week we looked at Elijah who lived 150 years after King David. And you'll remember uh, that he was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel and his name means Yahweh is God. He had a particular ministry of calling out the idolatry of that particular time and place. This week's story happened 100 years later in the year 740 BC. Isaiah lived in the southern kingdom. He served as a prophet in Jerusalem under four of the kings of Judah. And his ministry began at the back end of a 52-year reign of a particularly good king called Uzziah. Now, you might be interested in the name of Isaiah's name or the meaning. Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. It's very closely related to Elisha which we met as the successor of Elijah last week, whose name means God is salvation. Isaiah, Elisha, Joshua, Josiah, Jesus, all of these names come from the Hebrew word Yeshua, meaning salvation. For both Elijah and Isaiah as prophets, the man is the message. Yahweh is God. Yahweh is salvation. Elijah taught, Elijah's story taught us about idolatry of the heart and how to overcome it. Isaiah's story will teach us about leprosy of the heart and how to be purified from it. Yahweh is our God. Yahweh is our salvation. We have got a lot to learn from these two prophets. Now, today's story from Isaiah 6 begins with these words, in the year King Uzziah died. 
And you might think, how did this king Uzziah die? It's actually key in order for us to understand the message of Isaiah 6. So let's invest a few moments and head back to 2 Chronicles 26 and get some background on Uzziah. This is how he's described in verse 3 to 5 of Isaiah 26. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 52 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. King Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Imagine 52 years under his godly rule compared to the 22 years under evil King Ahab's rule. Yes, he was a wonderful king, but not a perfect one. Listen to verse 15. Uzziah's fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. After he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Prosperity, power, and fame were the idols that captured Uzziah's heart. These idols breed in the arrogance of affluence. They are dangers not just for Israelite kings, but for every one of us here today. Now, we have a saying in our culture, pride comes before a fall. And the origin of this is actually in the Bible, Proverbs 16, 18. And Uzziah is just one of many biblical examples of this truth. Now, some of you might be thinking, I'm guessing Uzziah's name is significant here. And sadly, you're right. Uzziah's name means Yahweh is my strength. He lived by this for the first half of his life. But when pride hijacked his heart, his mind became so muddled that he forgot his own name. This is what idolatry does. We forget who we are, that we are creatures who depend on Yahweh for everything. We forget that Yahweh is our strength. Let's read on verse 16 to Chronicles 26. Uzziah was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar. The essence of pride is to live our own way, to do what seems good in our own eyes. Adam and Eve went their own way in the garden and every one of us ironically have walked in their footsteps by choosing to go our own ways. Uzziah had his own version of that. He chose to enter into God's presence on his own terms. Now let me give you an example of this. When I was in my early 20s, I traveled through Canada with a couple of Aussie guys, Ray and Archie. And being young and foolish, we came up with an idea that seemed really good at the time. Let's go and find some bears. So we went hiking and we came across this massive grizzly bear. 
and he was rummaging around looking for berries to eat. And Archie came up with our second good idea for the day. Let's see how close we can get to him. We were downwind from him, so everything would be fine. Now, we had read those signs saying, stay away from the bears, but thought that they only applied to cautious Canadians, not us. So we got to within 25 metres, and then his big head slowly turned in our direction and he stared us down. And I still remember the feeling inside. Am I the dumbest of all the dumb people who have ever walked on this earth? We were exposed as fools. Now, Uzziah's situation was even more critical than that. His action was bad, but the posture of his heart was even worse. He had some good people around him who tried to talk to him, but sadly, he did not listen. Verse 17. Azariah the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests. Leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honoured by the Lord. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging at the priests, in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priests, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy and they hurried him out. He himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Remember from last week when a person's idolatry is exposed it often triggers a really strong reaction. Maybe internal fear or despair, maybe external frustration or rage. Last week, the evil queen Jezebel started raging and it's no different for this good king Uzziah. Pride had captured his heart and when it was exposed, he started raging. Uzziah had given in to a very Aussie form of idolatry. Instead of looking to the Lord as his strength, he now looked to himself for success in his life. He began to live by what seemed right in his own eyes. The impurity of Uzziah's heart could not stay hidden. It became visible in his attitudes and words and actions. And the biblical metaphor for this is leprosy of the heart. It's a problem we all have. Leprosy is an infection that kills nerves. The person becomes numb to pain, so when injuries or burns happen, the harm is not felt, and horrible disfigurement can happen. The infection becomes visible, and the ugly consequences are seen. And leprosy spreads its uncleanness to others. In Bible times, to protect the community, the leper was excluded and excluded from the temple. 
and instructed to say, unclean, unclean, whenever people would come near. Do you remember those early days of the COVID pandemic? The fear, the 14-day isolation periods. COVID was a modern-day glimpse of the personal and collective devastation of ancient leprosy. So we can see why leprosy is such a strong biblical metaphor for sin. Sin kills our spiritual sensitivity. Our souls become numb to its devastating effects. Sin is seen in the ugliness of our thoughts and our words and our actions. Sin disfigures us and it's a danger to others. It damages our relationships with God and with one another and with the created world in which we live. And sadly for Uzziah, he was never cured of his leprosy. Listen to verse 21. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous, and banned from the temple of the Lord. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried, not with them, but near them, in a cemetery that belonged to kings, for people said he had leprosy. Uzziah had proudly entered the temple on his own terms, and once afflicted with leprosy, he never entered that temple again. Even in his death, he was buried separately and remembered as an unclean one. It's a tragically sad end to his life. But it's also a tragically realistic description of humanity as a whole. Each one of us is infected with this leprosy of the heart. And it's in this context that Isaiah begins his ministry. In the year that King Uzziah died. The Lord is sending good news through his prophets. Remember, the man is his message. Yahweh is salvation. Now, Sarah will come up now and read Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles and find Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. Isaiah 6, 1-8 In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temples were filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have, been, have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Thanks, Sarah. Now you'll notice in the reading that the word Lord is spelt in two different ways. The first way, L-O-R-D in small capitals, translates Yahweh, the covenant name of God. And the second, L-O-R-D in normal letters, translates Adonai, master, or someone of high authority. Yahweh and Adonai, both two different ways to speak of the Holy One of Israel. Now we'll look at this story using four headings and the first one, confronted with the Holy One. Isaiah is placed inside the temple and sees Adonai, the Holy One, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The earthly throne of Israel may be empty. King Uzziah is dead. But the heavenly throne is never empty. Our king lives forever. Earthly rulers come and go, but the Lord continues to rule. His kingdom lasts forever. And everything about this scene speaks of the greatness of the Lord. Isaiah sees the Holy One high and exalted. He's greater than all the others and he governs all others. He reigns supreme. He sees the Holy One seated on a throne. This speaks of the settled sovereignty of the Lord. There's no need for him to stand. He simply speaks and his will is done. And he sees the Holy One filling everything. The train of his robe fills the temple. His glory fills the earth and smoke fills the temple. The presence of this Holy One fills to overflowing. Isaiah sees seraphim and he hears their song. This is the only place in the Bible that we read about these amazing creatures. Seraphim is the plural for seraph, which simply means the burning one. Fire is a common picture for the holiness of the Lord. Just remember the burning bush in Exodus 3 or the tongues of fire at Pentecost in Acts 2. Now, these creatures live so closely to the fiery holiness of the Lord that they are simply known as the burning ones. Each seraph has six wings, two covering their face. They don't want to draw any attention to themselves but seek to remain hidden. Two wings cover their feet. They do not choose their own path, but they walk in humble obedience to the Lord. And with two wings, they fly. They are not passive, but alert, ready to respond with immediate obedience to the word and will of Yahweh. These seraphim have never sinned. As unfallen creatures, they embody humility, reverence, and obedience. They live to proclaim his glory. And listen to the beautiful song that they sing to one another. 
What wonderfully rich harmonies would come out of their mouths. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh, the Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now remember, holiness refers to the uniqueness of the Lord. He is in an entirely different category from any created thing. There is no one like him. Now let me give you an example of this. I want you to imagine some 14-year-old basketballers. And these boys are playing in a gym, playing king of the court, 1v1. And there's all the healthy banter and one-upmanship that you'd expect as these young bucks test their skills against each other. But then they look up, and through the door comes LeBron James, the greatest basketballer ever to play the game. And the boys are silenced. The banter stops. LeBron is here, a basketballer who lives in an entirely different category. There's no more bickering or banter about who is the best. These boys know their place. The great one is here. Now, when human beings are in the presence of the Holy One, all of our petty comparisons with each other become meaningless. The Holy One is in a category of his own. And the appropriate response is to stop bickering and worship him. This uniqueness, this holiness applies to all of his attributes, not just his moral purity. He is holy or unique in his love, holy in his power, his wisdom, his compassion, his greatness. There is none like him. Now, why holy, holy, holy? Why the repetition? Perhaps it hints at the triune nature of the Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perhaps it hints at the Lord being the same yesterday, today, and forever. When this is sung in Revelations 4.8, that's what's in view. Or perhaps it's simply that he is the holiest of all. He is off the charts. Or for English teachers, it's a super superlative. But what is glory? Glory is simply this visible and audible manifestation of his holiness. As the seraphim sing their song, this glory is seen and heard and experienced. Doorposts shake and smoke fills the temple. The song of the seraphim is powerful because of the earth-shattering truths that it proclaims. Now, brothers and sisters, this is what the seraphim live for. They hide themselves in every way so that the glory of the Lord would be reflected off them and that the whole world would see and hear that Yahweh belongs in a category of his own. Imagine if we lived the same way. As redeemed people, even though we look through broken, smudgy glasses, we can glimpse something of the Holy One. And we can join in with the seraphim's song. Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh the Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this song should not just be sung with our lips. 
but sung with our minds and our hearts and our bodies and our relationships until our whole lives are a holy display of his glory. As redeemed people, what a joy it is to see the glory of this holy one. But for Isaiah, it was not joy that he experienced. You see, he was convicted by the Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh the Almighty. Remember, he had just witnessed King Uzziah presumptuously entering the temple of Yahweh. And here he was, placed inside that very same temple. This was worse than some young fools in Canada being too close to a grizzly bear. This was Isaiah in the presence of the Holy One of Israel. I am ruined. The Hebrew word is damar. It's translated a few different ways, undone, ruined, cut off, destroyed, silenced. You get the picture. Isaiah is in the presence of absolute holiness. As a creature and as a sinner, he is completely exposed. What a soul-disintegrating experience. We cannot imagine what it must have been like. Notice three levels of conviction. I'm a man of unclean lips. Of all the sins that the Holy Spirit could have brought to Isaiah's mind, it was the sins of his speech that topped the list. How often do we say careless words or fail to say a kind word or speak untruth or twist a story? or use flattery to get what we want? How often do we join an online discussion and join the pile on without considering the impact of our words? How often do we remain silent when we should have spoken up for what is right? I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Isaiah was not just convicted about his personal impurity, he knew he belonged to a people who, as a whole, had sinned greatly. Now, this is a challenging one for us individualists, isn't it? We love to shift the blame away from us and onto others. We love to play the victim and excuse our sin by focusing on what others have done to us. But Isaiah is not talking about blame shifting here. In fact, it's the very opposite. We have fallen short of who we were made to be, he says. Now, every time we hear of gross evil in our media, it's worth remembering Isaiah's words here. We belong to the same human race, and together we're guilty as well as personally. My eyes have seen the Holy One. When we compare ourselves to others, perhaps we might come out on top every now and then. But here Isaiah is face to face with the incomparable one. 
He would have remembered the Lord's warning to Moses in Exodus 33:20. You cannot see my face for no one can see me and live. The seraphim have their faces covered, but Isaiah, his eyes are wide open. It is no wonder that Isaiah says he is dama, silenced, undone, lost, ruined. He has seen true holiness, true purity, true greatness. His heart is exposed. His sin is seen. It's the year that King Uzziah died from leprosy. And Isaiah knows he's been diagnosed with leprosy of his heart. He knows what this means. Separation, exclusion from God and from other people, or maybe not. Cleansed by the holy sacrifice, one seraph stops singing. It's astounding. They live to sing. But this seraph stops singing because he's been given a unique and holy mission. This seraph will proclaim the holy love and justice of Yahweh through a wonderful act of grace. Verse 6. One of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. A live coal is taken from the altar and perfectly applied to those unclean lips. This was one thing Isaiah had not seen. He was not aware of the sacrifice on the altar. But what was laying there had already been received by Yahweh as an acceptable sacrifice perfectly sufficient to meet Isaiah's need. The Lord takes the initiative. Isaiah receives the gift, and the seraph explains the significance. Two Hebrew words are used here to describe Isaiah's sin. The first is avon, crookedness, guilt, iniquity. Isaiah, this has all been dealt with and removed. The debt has been paid. There is nothing more owing. You have a clean slate. The second word is kata, sins, moral failures, falling short. Isaiah, these have been covered over. They have been completely and comprehensively dealt with. They are atoned for. This live coal, as it's applied to Isaiah, has such rich theological ideas. Atonement, propitiation, justification, forgiveness, cleansing, purification, sanctification, reconciliation. This live coal is a symbol of the complete provision of Yahweh for dealing with our sin. The live coal is a symbol 
of the Lord Jesus. He is the holy sacrifice. Isaiah describes his sacrifice later in these words from Isaiah 53. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was placed on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Remember last week we talked about how lies are loud but the truth is simply spoken. Let the words of the seraph sink into your soul. This has touched your lips Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. As you've been listening this morning, what is it that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind? Unclean lips? Unclean thoughts? Wrong actions? He brings those things to mind so that he can apply the holy sacrifice of Jesus to exactly that point in your soul. But notice, this coal is live. It is burning hot. Putting to death our old way of life can be painful, but it's good pain. This saving work of grace will kill what is evil and replace it with true life. Let the Holy Spirit have his way in your soul. Trust him to do his purifying and healing work of grace within you. Number four, called to a holy purpose. Verse eight makes me smile. It says, then I heard the voice of Adonai saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. These verses Three verses ago, Isaiah was ruined. And now he sounds like a 10-year-old boy bursting with enthusiasm on Christmas Day. The Holy One has healed me, so now I am clean. The leprosy of my heart has been cured. He's taken away my sin. Whatever this Holy One wants from me, I am volunteering. Boots and all. I am all in. Grace does this. It sets people free. And in so doing, it moves them to give themselves wholly to the Lord. Now, if we were to read on verse 9 and onwards, we would learn that Isaiah was given the task to proclaim this message to a particularly hard-hearted people. How ironic that Isaiah, Yahweh is salvation, would proclaim a message that would be rejected by so many. But verses 9 to 13 are quoted in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and the book of Acts. Sadly and ironically, the Lord Jesus, whose name means Yahweh saves, was also rejected by many but not all. Many, like Isaiah, believed 
and discovered their holy purpose to proclaim this message that Yahweh saves and proclaim it to the ends of the earth so that the whole earth will be filled with his glory. Verse 8 is a good place for us to finish today. The Lord is at work in this world and you and I can join in with what he is doing. Each of us will be given different parts to play. Isaiah had his part, you and I have ours. But it begins with the same boots and all willingness to give ourselves wholly to the Lord and say, here I am, send me. So let's bring this to a conclusion. How does the Lord want you and I to respond to this story? The Holy Spirit will be highlighting something for each one of us. His gentle whisper will make that clear to you. Whatever he says, do it with faith and a wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Now, I want to give some space for us to listen to that gentle whisper. And to help us, I'm going to read a poem that I came across this week. It was written 12 months ago, October 3, 2022, written by a young man who was meditating on Isaiah 6 and John 13 and the many lepers that Jesus had met along the way. This young man was becoming aware of the leprosy of his heart. And at the same time, he was becoming aware of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The poem is called Washed Clean. I suggest you close your eyes as I read it through. Unclean lips, unclean hands, unclean eyes, unclean ears, unclean mind, unclean heart, unclean me. Unclean, unclean, says the leper, and I. Get away, get away, I'm not safe, I cry. I am full of dirt and sin. Disease and death are what I bring. He seeks me. He calls me. He reaches me. He touches me. He washes me. He heals me. He saves me. Be clean, be clean, says Jesus to me. Come near, come here. You're safe, you're free. This Holy One, he cleans my soul. His holy love, it makes us whole. Three challenges this morning. Can you personalise these names as statements of faith? Yahweh is my God. The cure for the idolatry of our hearts is to see the Holy One high and lifted up. What are our idols compared to him? Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh the Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. 
Yahweh is my salvation. The cure for the leprosy of our hearts is to be touched and cleansed by his holy sacrifice. Have you taken to heart the words of the burning one, the Holy Spirit, who speaks grace to you? See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, your sin atoned for. Yahweh is my strength. The secret to a purposeful life is to give ourselves wholeheartedly in devoted service to the Lord. He will provide for anything that he asks you or I to do. So will we put all other things aside? Will we simply trust and obey and with wholehearted love for the Lord? Say with Isaiah, here I am, send me. Eliah, Uzziah, Ishiah, let's embody these precious names. Yahweh is my God. Yahweh is my strength. Yahweh is my salvation. Let's pray. Holy One of Israel. We thank you for this incredible story. Thank you for the context in which it happened. Thank you that you have protected this story and got it to us two and a half thousand years later so that we can see something of your holiness, that we can see something of what our state is separate from the Lord Jesus. We thank you for that live coal, for that holy sacrifice that the Lord Jesus gave when he died on the cross for those who believe. And we thank you for calling us to this holy purpose, to join in with the seraphim and to join in with many brothers and sisters alive today and who have lived in centuries before. Thank you that we can join in with them and play our part in proclaiming your holiness and your glory to those that don't yet know. Please continue to do that work in ourselves that we cannot do for ourselves. Please move us that we might live by trust and obedience and wholehearted worship of you. Amen. about you but I've appreciated this series so much I know many others have and they've said it to me um, Graham you've put a great deal of time and thought and effort into this so thank you please stay for a cuppa and chat there's a lot of rich material to think about if God has been really challenging you today um, you may want to pray with someone, you may want to share with someone, uh, anyone you've seen up front here, feel free to ask uh, to share with you or pray with you, or someone you know and trust who could pray with you. In response to what we've heard, let's stand and sing to the Lord, only a holy God, only 
a holy God.